0: Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris.
1: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we're watching and reviewing a scary movie from 1980, John Carpenter's The The Fog. Fog. This Halloween is on lock.
0: We're going back is what we're doing.
1: Yeah, 1980, um, a very good year. In terms of people that were born. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about for movies, though. I mean, the 80s seemed like a good time for movies, especially horror ones.
0: There are Facebook groups to which I belong, touting the the legends of horror, 80s horror movies specifically.
1: Facebook group plug.
0: 80s horror movies rock.
1: <laughs> and isn't our review on Fright Night featured on that Facebook group?
0: It is. It got one thumbs up and zero comments.
1: Hmm. Well, that'll change after people listen to this review on The Fog. Is it John Carpenter's The Fog or is it just The Fog? We had the same problem with the thing.
0: As the title card suggests, John Carpenter's The Fog. And I'm okay with that. I mean, we did Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. I mean, this is John Carpenter trying to literally trying to make a name for himself after the runaway, incredible, enormous success of Halloween just a few years earlier
1: master of horror and suspense.
0: Not to say that The Fog isn't regarded as a classic, but we're just trying to go off-canon just a little bit. We're trying to go with the less obvious. And The Fog, I realized I had never seen sitting right between Halloween and The Thing, which to me is momentous placement.
1: And does it fill that space?
0: It was a little bit under the radar, but there are legions of fans waiting for The Fog to be mentioned so they can perk up and be like, ooh, I like that movie. I took Kelly to see Halloween in the theater because she had never seen that movie and I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's not one of the uh, the 70s slash 80s movies that I regard as a classic. So we revisited it in a theater and we were both kind of disappointed. I got to say, I'm not like the super fan of Halloween that everyone is. But I love the thing and I did not expect you. I've also seen that in a the theater with John Carpenter in attendance and the fog. I almost hadn't heard of. And Jamie Lee Curtis is all over the image. It's like a round two, Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter. How bad could it be?
1: And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis although they don't share any scene yeah they do share a scene at the end Jamie Lee Curtis United with her mom
0: but they don't actually speak to each other she's talking to the priest or whatever and then Jamie Lee Curtis is like leaning against the bar or something
1: the bar <laughs> at the at the church
0: well whatever she's leaning against something over in the corner. <laughs>
1: Like an altar?
0: And that was intentional because John Carpenter is a huge Psycho and Janet Lee fan and actually cast Jamie Lee Curtis kind of based on the strength of that being her daughter. But they weren't super keen to, like, do the mother-daughter terror team and clutching each other and screaming and mom, you know. So they kind of were working independently on this movie, which I think suited their purposes.
1: You're saying that John Carpenter had cast Jamie Lee Curtis for Halloween based on her mother's cachet?
0: At least in part.
1: How much of Halloween success is based on Jamie Lee Curtis' performance?
0: I don't think it's a tremendous amount. I think that Jamie Lee Curtis cut her teeth as a scream queen as she came to be called well after that period because she starred in like like five, four or five successive horror movies. She was on in this one. Uh, she was in Halloween. She was in The Fog. And then she was in Prom Night and also like Mystery Meat Train or something or Night Train or something.
1: Oh my God.
0: And then she made what she calls the first deliberate decision of her career, which is to be like, I don't want to be this person forever, so let me do other things, try other things.
1: So maybe she was capitalizing off of her mom's renown, getting her feet under her in the acting world, and then she diversified.
0: Yep, and not to say that she turned her nose up at horror movies, because this generation probably knows her best for the modern Halloween, the 2018 movie, uh, which has two sequels.
1: This movie, The Fog, I mean, she's a big part of it and she's a second billed cast member, but none of the story is really contingent on, what's her character's name?
0: I don't know. But she said she herself that she had a pretty small role. And of course, because of the success of Halloween, despite her relatively limited role, they're like, let's get her, you know, in a poster up against the door, you know, the fog. And it was terrifying.
1: She's a hitchhiker. She picks up this dude. Well, he picks up he picks her up first and then she picks up him. And then they're like this couple for the rest of the film with like all this rapport. And and she lucked out with like a dude who picks up hitchhikers, but is like really decent and caring and attentive.
0: Yeah. This was against what the Halloween character was, where she was sweater wearing and and hapless and like a little girl like 17 years old with school books and stuff and here she's on her own she's a vagabond and she said this one was the clothes were better they were much truer to her and uh she you know she likes this character enough Even if uh, the way that it was positioned, she seemed like she was in bed awfully quick with that dude.
1: It was like John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were like, let's just like sneak one smooch in here. They just wanted to like insert a little bit of sex.
0: Well, there was no crossbreeding. Everyone's almost entirely compartmentalized until the end. And even then their interaction is pretty minimal and uh, they didn't have any blood. So what are you going to do?
1: This movie is definitely built on suspense, atmosphere, a slow build toward hopefully what's a satisfying climax, and especially by today's standards, not a lot of on-screen violence.
0: Not salacious. Not a drop of blood, in fact, that Kelly and I could find.
1: Interesting. But, you know, lighthouses are scary. You saw the lighthouse. I saw the lighthouse. (laughs) Yeah. Lighthouses are inherently kind of scary. The fog itself wasn't the menace. There was something in the fog, as many people said, throughout the course of this film. The fog is the transportation for the crew of the Dane. So that's how they get around. And, um, but the fog is pretty indiscriminate. The fog and the, and the curse, they want to claim six lives. It doesn't necessarily mean six specific lives or six lives that were responsible in any way for the tragedy that happened. A hundred years prior.
0: No, because they come after Hal Hallbrook. They seem to like, all right, let's back off and give them an illusion of safety. And they were coming back for him, going to chop him up. And he was the ancestor.
1: But did it come for him specifically or was it just coming for the church? Like on the radio, she's like, the only safe place is the church. Go to the church. Go to the top of the hill.
0: Well, how did she reckon that?
1: Because she had visibility from her vantage point at the lighthouse i guess was it like blanketing all of antonio bay and making its way up to the peak like the highest point you can't see but i'm like moving my hands (laughs) to come up and like everything or was it like it was just it was like a discrete piece and it was like moving and like she was saying like to stay out of its path or whatever go to the
0: yeah it went where it wanted and it was deliberate in its movement that may have been lost a little bit by uh, the limited special effects they did a lot of scenes where the fog creeps into a room, very specifically targeting people. And then they discovered, particularly in the lighthouse scene where the dead guy is chasing Adrian Barbeau around the, uh, the, the top of the lighthouse, they found that they couldn't get this, the fog to creep out of the room. <laughs> they can get it to come in, but not out. And so they were like, hey, can you do the thing where you act in reverse?
1: Oh, no way. Like, tenant style?
0: Right. She acted in reverse and, like, rolled around and stuff, and they pumped the fog in, and then it looks natural. Look, I guess. And it must be good, because I didn't even notice. And the fog is supposed to creep out of the room. And so it didn't cover everything. As we saw in the little, like, the house on the stilts or whatever, it, like, envelops the house where the boy is with the caretaker lady, uh, Adrian Barbo's son. And then... Once that lady is taken out and he's all hiding, then whoosh, then the fog is gone.
1: We talked a lot about practical effects and the thing, but sometimes they're just better. Like to find a practical solution to the fog creeping out.
0: Absolutely. I think practical effects are great. They have to be done well. And I'm not, I can't imagine that they would cost more than digital stuff, but maybe they will. They always seem like they're more effective to me. But, you know, in the 80s, they didn't really have a choice. And this was also not a high-budget movie. You know, they were somewhat limited, and it, it certainly looks dated to me. And But, uh, you know, they're doing the best they can. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill doing this little movie kind of on their own.
1: What's their history?
0: Uh, I actually find the making of this movie and its stories just as entertaining as the movie itself. Uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were married for Halloween, and Jamie Lee Curtis was like their... She called them her movie parents. And then so flash forward to The Fog. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill decide that they're going to get divorced. So Jamie Lee Curtis goes up to their house and they break the news to her and she cries. And then they're like, "Uh, hey, so but we're going to make The Fog. And it's going to star you, our movie daughter, and your real mom, along with your divorced parents and your divorced parents, movie dad's new wife, Adrienne Barbeau. So it's like this blended weird, family, right? It's like a modern family of movie making for independent cinema, and then everyone is kind of compartmentalized. It's not to say that there were issues, but Deborah Hill has to watch Adrian Barbeau, you know, her ex husband's new wife, run around and be the scream queen. And I don't know if you recall, but Adrian Barbeau. Hella squee- scream queen, hella scream queen in her. Well, that's hard to say. Try it.
1: Hella scream
0: queen, hella scream queen in her own right. Not only this, but Swamp Thing and Creepshow. Man, Adrian Barbeau is the bomb. And that was probably in no small part to John Carpenter too. I'm not sure about her history before this movie in particular. So, in, an interesting process. And they ran around for no money. And even the fight at the lighthouse, to my understanding, all of this was added in reshoots. Because they shot this movie, and they were like, the fog is creepy. Ooh. And they got back into post, and it was like an hour long or an hour and 20 minutes long or something. And they're like, this is not enough. It's not scary. This is crap. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So they went back out, her scrambling around on the top of the lighthouse while the two dead dudes are after her, all shot after the fact.
1: Does Adrienne Barbeau get hooked in the neck?
0: Yep. Well, no, she gets like hooked in the shoulder or something. She's all right. She's a scream queen.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I was just, it looked like she got like poked in the neck. And I was like, how is she still fighting off these two? Yeah,
0: I totally thought she was dead.
1: What do you think of the faceless monster?
0: I, as a concept, love this kind of creature the faceless, slow moving, it follows type. And as much as I think that it doesn't make sense, the red eyes, I love it. One of the producers said, anytime you see a really tight close up, it's probably something that they added in the reshoots. It feels kind of cheesy 80s horror, but it was deliberately constructed this way out of necessity that I find interesting.
1: And I think that the fog feels more fun and less scary because of the dramatic irony. We're not solely coming at the horror and the menace from the character's point of view we kind of understand a little bit more than they do about what's going on and and the menace that they're facing. And so it feels more fun that way when a horror movie gives a little dramatic irony and you can see the story progressing from both sides. So in that way it feels fun, but it seems to me like John Carpenter has a vision that's already there. Like even in just the opening shot with the pocket watch And the reveal of the kids by the fire and then the and then this really very confident, basically one shot take on our storyteller and then the pan up into the darkness and into the city. Again, I'm using hand motions here that you can't (laughs) see. I'm big on openings, and it communicated to me that this was a filmmaker with vision. Man,
0: now I got to crush it. Uh Uh-oh. John Carpenter comes with his vision, and it's exactly what's intended to be put on screen, except that whole thing was added hastily in the reshoots. What? They got John Hausman, and they're like, we need more footage. We need to draw it out. So that whole fairy tale bedtime story watch thing with the old sea dog, thats all added later.
1: No. Never
0: part of the original script. Look it up, man.
1: You don't have to have vision, like, neatly laid out in advance. Vision can come together piecemeal or at the end.
0: It's true, and, and maybe out of necessity, but this is feedback that he's it getting. It's not scary. Maybe there was less cohesion in the storytelling and the tale of the, of the ship and the wronged sailors and things and being run aground and with the campfires. You know, and so it bolsters it and it helps. But we go from the most analog scene ever with him telling these kids a bedtime story. And it really does help firmly plant us in the base of this story. We, we, we understand when these things come out of the fog what they're doing or at least what their motives are. And then we go to the most digital stuff ever, where for some reason the fog is really into electronics and it makes car horns beep (laughs) and it makes stuff go off. And you're like, what's happening? I don't know. It's the fog, man. man."
1: By far the most dated parts of the film, but kind of like curiosities at this point, like how many people are watching this and they're like... What are those weird phones and boxes all lit up? <laughs> right. The bank of, of public phone booths that are bringing off the hook. The, and the, the old gas pump with the super analog ticker and bell.
0: Like, wasn't it like a roll ticker?
1: Yeah, it was like a roll ticker, and every time it cleared a buck or something, it was like, bing, bing, <laughs> bing. Or maybe it was a gallon, like, who knows? It's like, what? It was so analogy and kind of cool. Why
0: does the fog do it? And if the fog can control machines, why do the uh, the zombie pirates resort to, like, boat hooks? They were like, what's this new stuff? What is this technology or, that's all around town that had no bearing on our lives? Because this is a story from the olden times, right? Now Antonio Bay is taken over by all this machinery. Let's mess with that. They're like, they're just curious. They're messing around, like E.T. or something.
1: What are the ghouls or gremlins that are just like naughty called?
0: Poltergeist?
1: Yes, poltergeist. In the lighthouse scene, when the Dane driftwood starts to bleed slash leak water, yeah, the spirits of the deep. We were, were looking for a, a means of communication, and the water was reaching out, and it found this device called a tape player. Then, <laughs> then it possessed it so that it could speak its message from the deep beyond. Yeah,
0: it controls the machine for sure, and the fog killed the generator on the boat.
1: The conspirators wanted to take their money. Yep, but also. Take their money, which ostensibly they were paying in order to have like to establish their leper colony. But (laughs) but they decided they were going to take the money, but not let them establish the leper colony by murdering them.
0: I guess so. Look, I mean, maybe people will come at us, bro, but I didn't follow it all that closely. But from my understanding, John Carpenter had talked about this being a real thing where people drew ships and robbed them by making them crash with fires, which doesn't make 100 percent sense to me, given that the lighthouse, the purpose of a lighthouse is that this fixed light that couldn't possibly be a natural occurrence at sea tells ships, regardless of the fog, hey, there's a light here, which means rocks, which means turn turn away. If there's fire out there, that means you turn away. Right.
1: Maybe that's a wholly different signal. That is the come hither signal.
0: And then they they let they put the fire in the wrong place and led them to rocks that would that would make the ship founder? Yeah. Okay. Let's go with that. <laughs> Ready? Yep. Name of the ship, the Elizabeth Dane. Name of Jamie Lee Curtis, Elizabeth. And then she said at some point, things seem to happen to me. I'm bad luck. So was she just a random hitchhiker who hitchhiked into the wrong town with the wrong dude at the wrong time? Or is there significance?
1: (laughs) Seems too coincidental to be coincidence, but I really don't see Jamie Lee Curtis's purpose in this film. She meets Nick Castle. She kind of hangs around him, but I don't see what story purpose she serves. She doesn't change his course. He's doing his thing and she's asking consistently, hey, can I tag along? Yep. She doesn't have any relationship with Kathy or with Kathy's assistant or with Stevie. And it's interesting that there's potential meaning that you could draw with her saying she's bad luck and the name connection and her kind of showing up randomly on the scene. But I kind of think it's all coincidence.
0: Her name might as well have been Laurie Strode in this movie or Jamie Lee Halloween.
1: And she could have been anybody. And she just kind of tags along for the ride and gives a couple great screams.
0: That's her job. She's Jamie Lee Curtis in a, in a uh, John Carpenter movie. Okay. Do the we're going to call them Zombie Pirates. Do the Zombie okay. Pirates cover their tracks because in the in the corner scene where the body yeah. stands up also added in post I might add in in reshoots the two dudes at the beginning the three dudes were all killed on the boat and yeah. yet when they're found They're full of salt water. They have salt water in their lungs. This guy, I don't care what you're saying, this dude has been at the bottom of the ocean for weeks. Right. And it's almost like their deaths are being masked as somewhat natural causes. Is there no accounting for, and also the meat hook wounds?
1: Yeah, and and their eyeballs, why are the eyeballs all gouged out?
0: So I wonder about the logic of that, about there being, like, why would there be salt water in the lungs?
1: these zombie pirates are not subtle <laughs> so i don't think that they're trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes or like suggest that these were natural deaths deaths i think the deaths are supposed to emulate the deaths that the zombie pirates themselves experienced when they were human drowned and to experience that decay uh, trapped you know in your underwater grave kind of a thing yep. but they do seem to cover their tracks in other ways i mean the bodies of the two sailors maybe this was a continuity thing because of reshoots but not found on the boat and then the other dude stuffed in that footlocker or that thing and the latches closed and he's all hidden I mean it certainly seemed like that was orchestrated for the scare but also what would be the reasoning for the zombie pirates to hide the body if they're not covering their tracks
0: in a way I wondered if the zombie pirates were real Or if they were manifestations, Shining style, which made these people go mad and kill each other and drown each other on the boats and stuff Homeboy in the footlocker. And it's like it didn't add up. And then I wondered why it didn't add up. Which leads me to my next question whether or not the humans are the fallible ones if if there's something wrong or if this is just kind of shoddy or storytelling like why would everyone seem to ignore strangely breaking windows they're like oh that was so crazy what happened that was weird but it kept happening and like the wood busting and stuff and they're like whoa that was random and they go on about their day. And then when, like, when the zombies show up, they're like, what's happening? Stuff's been happening the whole time.
1: Well, you could say that Kathy, her husband, who's murdered on the boat, and the priest have some connection to the zombie pirates and to what happened 100 years ago. But then that leaves two of our main characters, Stevie and Nick Castle. It, it leaves the attacks on them completely unmotivated. What is the zombie pirates business with Stevie's son?
0: Because he's important to her, and she's like a whistleblower. And they've obviously got a handle on technology. So they've probably got transistors or radio receivers somewhere in the fog. And they're like, this bitch is ratting us out. We got to go after her.
1: (laughs) What was with Stevie's radio voice?
0: Apparently people ask Adrian Barbeau to do it all the time. I think we should do the remainder of this discussion in the radio voice that we think people... Want to hear?
1: It would take a really <laughs> long time.
0: I don't know, man. Maybe this is sleepy Antonio Bay. What is it? 6 to midnight or 6 to 1 a.m. or something? Maybe this is sleepy time, sleepy radio hour. All right, next one. Ready? Yep. So the pirates wanted their gold back, which had been melted down into Hal Holbrook's cross. I mean, then obviously, once they took it, then they wanted revenge. I mean, it seems like they could have stolen into the church with the fog under the door and then grabbed the cross and peaced out.
1: If they were after the gold.
0: It was like Wonder Woman 84. He didn't need to, like, elaborately steal the MacGuffin. He could have just burst into into her office, grabbed the thing, and made a wish. And then he would be the wishmaster. Right? If they were after the gold and they knew who to target, they probably knew where the gold is and could have ferried it away.
1: There were allusions to the gold, like the gold coin turning into the driftwood. But the driftwood message isn't give us our gold. It is six must die. Right. And it seemed like that had that purpose had to be fulfilled regardless of the gold.
0: Was there a reason it was six? It was because it was it to compensate for their own deaths?
1: Yeah, I think the six there were six on the ship that foundered and then they, and then they drowned. But were they like the six leper like representatives?
0: <laughs> the lepersentatives? Yeah. <laughs>
1: And was that why they were like wrapped mummy style? I mean, other than to make them a faceless men- menace?
0: It was a great look. It was super scary.
1: Lepers are kind of mummy bandaged, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Didn't you see Stephen King's it? As long as you don't see them in too much detail. But we did. We saw the wormy dude. Yeah. There was a thing in Rogue One. And if you haven't mm-hmm. seen Rogue One, skip ahead about 30 seconds. Where do you remember when the uh, they're trying to get off the ship and all of a sudden everything goes dark? And then you hear Darth Vader breathing, and then the lightsaber illuminates his silhouette, and then he kills everyone. Remember this? Okay. And everyone's like, that was the coolest scene I've ever seen. The point I'm making is the lights in his chest panel, basically his life support system was turned off. It was pitch black until his lightsaber turns on, which means Darth Vader deliberately turned off all his chest panel lights and his entire life support system for that dramatic entrance. Which is like the most just... dramatic drama queen thing ever. And so I think for these pirates, I think they needed the fog. And it creeps in all slowly and people are filled with terror and cold runs through their veins. And then Bwah, they're there with their red eyes and stuff. Super dramatic. They are like rock star lepers.
1: Yeah. They're like zombie pirates with a lot of flair.
0: Right? <laughs> You know, and the fog is creepy. I don't know why there's lights in it or whatever, because otherwise you can't really see a creeping fog in the dark. All fine, all necessity. But then when that score kicks in, I I got a happy, fuzzy feeling. I was like, this is the most John Carpenter score ever. John Carpenter fog and the red eyes and the 80s horror conventions. And it's cool, but also it's kind of cheesy and dated. It's like a weird curiosity that made me both happy and disappointed because it's it looks kind of terrible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it's so cheesy
1: they may be cheesy and they may be 80s but they're not tongue-in-cheek they're not meant to be ironic this was meant to be scary and i think it's that ownership that make them so great
0: john carpenter is nothing if not earnest he really wants to be all in a consummate filmmaker and he, he just carries more cheese with him than some of the other directors but that doesn't mean that uh, stinky cheese even doesn't make some great dishes Once in a while. I like stinky cheese.
1: So, The Fog, like you said, out between Halloween and The Thing, maybe you can't measure them against John Carpenter's other films, but what did you think about The Fog?
0: Admittedly, I can sometimes be something of a hypocrite. Come at me, bro. I don't care. This is my movie podcast, our movie podcast. I hold certain other films to rigorous standards and some others. I give a little bit of leeway in particular. We talked about genre pictures and how within the scope of a genre, this is a satisfying piece, even if it doesn't move the needle in terms of overall movie, movie making. I was shocked to find how many people are devotees of the fog calling it. In fact, the scariest movie that they have ever seen, but (laughs) eighties horror movies Are kind of a genre. They're a vibe, bro. And I think the fog fits in admirably. It's not as outright cheesy in its effects as The Thing. It's scarier, I think, than Halloween. But also like a more fun scary. Because I think the seriousness that Halloween strove for, strived for, stroded for is, uh, get it, Laurie Strode? God,
1: terrible joke. Wow.
0: Uh, Made it fall flat. Because it wasn't fun. The fog, I don't think, strived to achieve any of that, but it was scary. I still love the idea of the fog and the creeping menace and the obscured shapes within within the fog that wasn't dumb like the mist. And then there was this historical basis for the pirate tale and this murderous revenge and all that stuff that made it fine it's definitely cheesy in its execution maybe cobbled together after the fact when they found that they had kind of a boring movie on their hands but it came together with a strange alchemy that movies can achieve maybe horror independent movies can only achieve i was able to sit back and enjoy it and maybe forgive some of the flaws enough for it to clear my relatively low high jump hurdle for an all right rating
1: Seems pretty generous. You seem like in a generous kind of Halloween kind of spirit. Yeah.
0: I like scary, not quite seen creatures with red eyes. And pirates are cool. And fog is scary.
1: It was moody. It was creepy. It was atmospheric. Fog is cool. <laughs> pirates are cool but it didn't scare me i mean i guess i maybe i jumped a little bit when the footlocker bursts open and the body basically falls on jamie lee curtis and she's all shaken up in the in the doctor's office and they like do that thing where they like want to spare her they go and talk in the hallway so she can get attacked again i don't understand the rules and why that murdered dude came back to life it was it's it's almost like they really were pirate zombies pickups Story-wise, it feels like kind of a mess. Um, assembly-wise, though there's though there's some kind of masterful kind of Dunk Carpenter signature moments in filmmaking. Um, the more I hear about the backstory of how it came together and was kind of cobbled together in post, the you know the cut feels kind of like a mess. <laughs> like as fun as it was, I think I'm gonna have to go with the fog as a boring
0: man. Well, you can't be faulted for that because there I was a little bit on the fence. And strangely enough, a contributing factor to my review is how I regard the movie days after. I actually watched it several days ago and I have a strangely warm and fuzzy feeling about it.
1: And there you have it. An all right from Wes, a boring from Iris. That is our review on John Carpenter's The Fall from 1980. A wonderful year to be born. This is a wonderful year for. Halloween episodes on or whatever movies. 818 835 0473 is our hotline. Or whatever movies.com or whatever movies at gmail.com is our email address. Let us know what you think about The Fog and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, it. no, my dad.
0: My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels
1: again. On this show, we come to humanize
0: athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m.
1: Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electrocast.
1: Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time.